Good morning again, everyone. Hope that your week went well. Glad to see you here this morning. Uh, this morning I have kind of a, a fun question to ask to get our minds going and engaged. Um, in your family, immediate or extended, who is your favorite? It's always a fun question. Now, if you're a little bit older, obviously you can have different seasons in your life where that may change a little bit. You know, if you can remember back to when you were a kid, was it your mom, your dad, or maybe a sibling? For me, it was my, my grandpa. He was always my favorite. And then for a season, my cousin, we were pretty inseparable. Uh, and then my wife. And then which kid? Now, if you remember, a while ago I had talked about how I had to stop playing the game Truth or Dare because they were, they were set to try to get that answer out of me. And anytime I would say truth, they would ask that type of a question, you know. And I don't know that they still, I don't think they still realize that in different ways each of them can be my favorite, even though they had their assumptions. You know, and then you think about grandkids, you know, I hear you only have kids, so you can have grandkids one day. You know, those become your joy. You know, families, they can be a wonderful time, a wonderful experience. It's an interesting dynamic for sure. But not everyone has a great experience with families. It can be more of a sore subject. It can be a source of trauma. But, you know, family relationships are key to what have shaped us in a lot of ways whether good or bad. And as we've been diving into more of the, the practical portions of Paul's letter to the Colossians, we've been talking about the old self, and we've been talking about the new self. And for the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about how the new self impacts different relationships, different dynamics that we come across. You know, and I've been reading, I've been preparing for the next big sermon series that we're going to do, and that's going to be on relationships It'll start in the, at, in the new year. Um, but I think it's something that the church really needs to teach on. Because many times when we talk about relationships of any kind, not just marriages or dating, but you know, work relationships, friends, all of those kinds of things, we tend to get our ideas from culture, from society, from our friends and what they think. And I want to bring the word of God and what he and what God says into those relationships, into how we're understanding all of those things. And again, there's a lot of different levels that we have relationships. Uh, today, our focus is going to be on the family unit. Next week, we will talk about employment and how we get biblical instruction for that as well. You know, when we think about the family unit, there's a lot of different places in the Bible that we can go to to get similar teachings of what's going to be talked about today so we can see some of this consistency still that Paul is instructing with the early church. Um, and I think that there's a lot that we can glean from today to improve some of those relationships in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 today, and we're going to read verses 18 through 21. I invite you to stand as we read God's word this morning. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands 
as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Father, as we dive into this short passage today, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds, Lord, that you would speak through me uh, into the hearts and minds of these people, Lord, that your word would go forth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, so just a few different verses here that we're going to be going over today, but we can see right away that there is some pointed direction uh, concerning this instruction to the Colossians, right? We see these commands given to wives towards their husbands, husbands towards their wives, children to their parents, and fathers to their children. Now, depending on your situation currently, some of these may not apply to you. Some of these might stand out a little bit more. For instance, if you are not married or don't have children, these might not impact your life directly at this time. You might think that they don't matter. But what we want to be able to see is some of the order and authority within the instructions of the Word of God and the consistency within that. And we can still understand the principles of what's being said. You know, perhaps you read these verses and immediately your walls go up. Immediately you begin to get defensive when you hear that word submission or you hear that word that you have to love or obey. And you begin to think all of these ideas to make yourself not have to do these commands. You know, we want to try to take those walls down a little bit. You know, you, you hear this word submission and you think it's from the Stone Ages or it's old hat and I don't want to have to do that. You, you think of these terms of loving unconditionally or don't provoke, don't instigate. Well, I don't want to love. I like to instigate. I like to provoke. So then maybe you're thinking, well, I'm just not going to have children. I'm not going to get married. So that way I don't have to worry about these commands. Kids, you see this term, obey your parents in everything. It's one of my favorite verses. There's not a lot of wiggle room in that one. But it does say, for it pleases the Lord. And we'll get into that a little bit deeper. But you know what? Even within all of these variables, I think that there are principles within this passage that we need to, to understand to help us out with some of these interpersonal relationships, especially within the family unit. So what I want us to see first is how Paul is giving this instruction after he talks about the new self and the old self. I think that's very important to understand because it would reflect a change in behavior and in, in experience. Now, I'm not saying that this wasn't their experience beforehand and that these things weren't already going on, but there would be definite cultural impacts in the family unit and how it was structured, how it was designed um, based on the culture. And the positioning of this teaching here shows that there should be a difference in how the family unit is run in a Christian household. Where the new self, the new life that Jesus offers impacts and changes the direction of the family unit. Now he had already said back up in chapter 3 verse 11 that there's equality, that there's no longer these distinctions. Right? There's no longer these distinctions between cultural, national, social 
castes or legal divisions. And what we want to understand is where that image of God is truly being reflected with the new self, these distinctions that Paul talks about have no real significance. You know, differences will remain, sure. But in the Christian community, within these relationships, they're not as a barrier to fellowship. They're not as a barrier to growth, with, especially within the family unit, where there's going to be roles, there's going to be authorities that are going to reflect the created design. And we need to step into that as we follow God's calling within these passages. So with the new self and, and being more Christ-like, there is a submission to Christ's commands. You know, we see this in Ephesians 5 and 6. This is the parallel passage. Uh, so you can go back and you can study that. But in, in 521, it talks about how you submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. How both, both parties are under Christ. The next three verses talk about how a wife is to submit to a husband. And then the following eight verses talk about a, how a husband is to love his wife. Christ loved the church. And then chapter 6 starts with the first four verses talking about parent-child-children relationships. Another parallel passage you can write down is 1 Peter chapter 3, the first seven verses. So again, different things that you can go to this week to help study. Now, if you are married, if you are married, you probably know that every waking moment of every day your spouse is willing to submit to you or love you unconditionally. They are ready to respect and honor you and humbly look out for your best interests, constantly sacrificing what they would rather do just to meet your needs because that's what marriage is about. Because they obey these commands so effortless, effortlessly. It just comes natural when you become married to love unconditionally and to submit to one another. Now this morning, I was going to say I want the families to separate a little bit. That way there's no nudging and elbowing today through what I say. But I think that this sarcasm can be traced back to the garden and to creation. You know, we read that in our uh, call to worship this morning. But you know, there's a different version that I heard a while back. It's, you know, where Adam's working in the garden and he is enjoying himself, but he's getting lonely. So he goes up to God and he says, like, Lord, I love this garden. It's amazing, but I'm really lonely. Is there anybody that you can send me? And God says, you know what? I got the perfect person. She will cook for you. She will clean for you. She will help you out in everything. She will rub your feet after a long day. She will obey your every wish and command. She is truly perfect. Adam's taken back. He's like, wow, that's awesome. When can you send her? Well, I can send her right now, but you, you have to know it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And Adam thought for a moment. He said, well, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> of course, that joke is from a guy's perspective. And there are many jokes there are many sarcastic things that, that we laugh about at marriage because we understand that marriage is hard work. It takes sweat. You have two broken people coming together to be united into one. 
And there's going to be conflict. There's going to be strain. There's going to be trials. And there's so much that is against us already as succeeding in our marriages. Divorce rates, even in the church, are pretty high. Husbands are portrayed as being fat, lazy, and dumb in the Hollywood scene. Women are given these unimaginable standards that are set by society for beauty and behavior. And you're seeing a stronger and stronger trend today to not get married because of all of these problems. And within these conflicts, you have these thoughts that pervade your mind. Why should I love her? She doesn't respect me. Why should I respect him? He doesn't love me. Both sides saying, I give, I give, and I give. And I get nothing in return. But you know, there is a richness and beauty within marriage that oftentimes can get overlooked because of our selfish pride. Things that we all struggle with. Barriers to our family relationships. And there are seasons when things can be great. There are seasons when we're just trying to stay afloat. And there are seasons where maybe we just want to be done. You know, marriage, relationships can be hard because we open up ourselves to another person, to be vulnerable, to allow someone else to come in. You know, marriage has its ups and its downs, but thankfully the Lord has given us a guide in his word and through the guidance of his Holy Spirit to bring us wisdom and discernment through those hard times. Whereas believers, we're not alone. We have that companionship with one another, if you are married, and with the Lord. So, let's dive into some of these verses. Let's look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It's always good for a man to get up here and say that, right? This is a command. On its face, depending on how you're defining it, it might cause some tension, or some apprehension, or anxiousness in your hearts. Especially if you're a woman hearing that you have to submit. I think that there are some caveats that are within this command that we can talk about as well. You know, I don't think that God intends for a wife to yield to a husband who is abusive or who is ordering her to do things that are contrary to God's will, especially as Paul is saying, as is fitting in the Lord. Now, could someone just say, well, that's not fitting in the Lord just because they don't want to submit? Sure, but that's on them. You know, when we, when we look at this understanding, um, we want to understand that, yes, we all still struggle with pride. We all still struggle with doing things the way that we want to do it. But the Bible says that a wife should maintain a submissive attitude towards her husband, that she should defer to him. Again, she should not subject herself or her children to danger. But Paul's point is that a wife should always relate to her husband as God's appointed leader in their relationship. Now, according to Webster, to submit is to yield, resign, or surrender to the power, will, or authority of another where the main point of submission is that a wife is to defer, that is, to be willing to take second place to her husband. You know, this whole idea of you can't have two cooks in the kitchen type of thing. Again, this term does not 
does imply that the husband has an authority that the wife must forgo exercising. And this is key. Because the context shows that the wife's attitude is prompted and warranted by her husband's unselfish love. See, the form of this verb, even though it is a command, is in the middle voice, meaning that it is voluntary. This isn't a forced submission. She must choose to be submissive. The submission that's described here is to, said to be fitting in the Lord. This phrase, in the Lord, indicates that a wifely submission um, is proper not only in the natural order of creation, but also in the Christian order, to where this whole thing then is lifted to a higher level in the new self in understanding what this means. In Peter chapter 3, um, he says this, Likewise, Wives, be subject, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respect and pure conduct. Now, again, submission can be kind of a sensitive word for people, especially in a culture that is touting equality and independence for our girls. So, question for the younger ladies that are out there. How do you treat this word? Have you wrestled with this idea of submission? We also want to address what have you seen in your homes? Have you seen submission being um, played out? How have you seen a father and a mother come together in a Christian and biblical way? How is submission modeled for us? You know, do you have a home where you have a strong father figure that is the spiritual leader of the home? Or do you have one that is angry, demanding, forceful, maybe walking away from the Lord? Do you see a mother who is submitting in love and grace? Or one who is independent, not accepting leadership, or perhaps shutting down? Family dynamics are hard to work through because oftentimes the waters can be muddy. But again, I want to point out that this command is voluntary. You have to choose to do it. And you'll see why this is important here in a second. Now, I'm trying to keep the length of time for each verse folk, uh, about the same. That way, nobody thinks I'm picking on one gender over the other. But this is just a small, surfacey thing. It's not something that we're going into deep depth at this point in time. As it says, wives... Submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Now this is a present active imperative. So this is a continuous daily command. And the love here is not phileo. So it is not a brotherly love. It is not a give and take. It's not a chummy type of thing. It is not eros. So it is not the romantic love. But this is agape. This is the self-sacrificing, unconditional love where you are giving all of yourself. It is a caring love, a deliberate attitude of your mind to concern yourself with her well-being, where you don't treat your wives as objects or loyal subjects to your every wish and whim, but rather you're doing what is best for your loved ones, sacrificing your own self-interests, I think of John 15, 13, 
which says, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. To where as a husband, you are laying down your own self-interests to love your spouse. This is a love that is not voluntary or conditional. It is not, I will only love her if she does X, Y, and Z. Man, we are called to love her as Christ loved the church. Ephesians teaches us that. So you think about God's grace. Are there strings attached to that? Where Jesus says, I will give you grace only if you do X, Y, and Z. He is our model. We are to love our wife. Then Paul goes on and says, do not be harsh with them. Another imperative. This harsh term can mean irritable, surly, cross, embittered. To where this bitterness is an irritation mentally and being cross verbally. So we do not let a bitter attitude develop towards our wives. We do not verbally berate them. Whether it's for a lack of submission or for any other reason. We are not to be harsh with them. Now immediately, what can our thoughts be? Well, it's not fair. That's not right. She did this. She didn't do that. She said this about me. She's using every name in the book. Why can't I do that too? Why can't I berate her? Tough. Welcome to manhood, where we do hard things, understanding what God has called us to do. We are called to honor them until death do us part. It's not like a man to be whiny and complaining. Yes, what they do will be on them, and they will answer to God because of that. But you are to love them and not to be harsh with them. To quote Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. We are called to be the head of the house because we need to be a model for Christ for our families. We are not Christ where we are worshipped and adored, but we are a model. And what does Christ call us to be but servants? So we are to serve our families. It doesn't matter how many things go unnoticed or unappreciated. Your Heavenly Father sees you and you will be rewarded. And that goes for both genders. But here and now, we are called to be the man of God that God has called us to be because it's an amazing privilege to have a family and we have to step up and lead. You know, one of the hardest things for me still as a pastor is dealing with troubled marriages because I can see how both sides don't realize what they have until it's gone. Both sides take each day that they've been given for granted. Both sides fight and bicker trying to be right. Both sides miss the beauty and the joy of being united in a holy bond that transcends all of the junk that's in this world. They forget to pursue one another. They stop dating. They listen to culture. They listen to their divorced friends for advice on marriage because obviously they're the experts at having a successful marriage. They turn to pornography and other avenues to find love or release. Men, we are the spiritual head of the home. Act like it. Put on the new self that is in this passage just above 
and everything that we say and do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Let's move on to the kids. Pay attention, children. My favorite verse. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, whenever I teach on these types of passages, I always bring in another caveat. Obviously, as Christians, you are to follow God first and foremost, so that, you know, if your parent is telling you to go steal this car, you would want to try to listen to God over your parent in those types of regards. But again, as you work through those types of things, we understand what God's design is. And he is saying, children, obey your parents, because by obeying them, it pleases the Lord. Now, obey here gives the understanding of this readiness to carry out the orders. Child is to listen, to carry out the instructions of the parents. This verb also is present tense and active, so it is a continuous action. It's not a, well, I just did this yesterday. Why do I have to do it again? It's not, well, in a minute or when I feel like it. Or, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. There's a readiness that is present to carry out this action. So, kids, examining yourself, how would you say you're doing with this? I'm trying to find my children who are not looking at, oh, nice, okay. You know, sometimes instructions from parents may seem unreasonable, not fair, can seem dumb or pointless, right? What do you guys think? Oh, yeah, yeah, Micah, good. But does the Lord give you a pass if it's dumb or pointless or if it's unreasonable? If you're just trying to finish up a game or talk to your friends, or maybe if you have a better way of doing it. Obeying your parents in this sense is not to be a heart or from a heart of just because they said so, you do it. Instead, and I want you to hear this, it needs to be a heart and an attitude that you are a new creation in Christ. So just as you are putting on the new self, that Christ asks you to do, he is asking you to obey your parents. So you're fulfilling what God has called you to do as children. And of course, our reference for this goes back to the Ten Commandments. You know, it's the only commandment that has a promise that's attached to it. Children, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land. Now, I think with the, the three of these that we've talked about so far, and even in the next one, you can sometimes get some pushback in your heart where you have this feeling of, yeah, but this situation is completely different. Or, yeah, but you don't know how he's treating me or what she said. Now, there could be some valid claims in those types of responses because we're dealing with broken people. And we're all broken, right? But I mentioned that response because what that could be a conviction of or an indicator of is our own selfishness and pride kicking in for us to do what we want to do. So that when we have that, that type of response, we understand that it's of the flesh and not of the Lord. And the final verse, back to the fathers. 
do not provoke your children. This is the third command for men in this passage. Though I want to point out, this is not a license for mothers to provoke their children. Just because it doesn't say mothers, um, what this emphasizes instead is the role that fathers are to play in raising the children. They are to be an integral part of their upbringing and their lives, where they are to instruct the children in the ways that they should go. But who has time for that when we're working 12 hours a day and we've got everything that we got going on on the weekends with games and practices and everything else? Priorities. The family unit needs to be a priority. Fathers have the primary responsibility for the children as the heads of the house. You can look at numerous statistics to see how children of fatherless homes turn out. Their percentages of troubles go up in a lot of different areas. Fathers need to be an active role in the household, not just as a disciplinarian or an authoritarian to where it's, well, you just wait till your father gets home type of mentality. You know, they have to have an active role in mentoring and discipling, modeling of grace and wisdom and Christ-like behavior because kids follow a lot of what they see in many instances. And that can be scary for us at times because we know our weaknesses. Fathers are called not to antagonize, to not embitter them, where this is seen as a habitual provoking, where maybe we're too harsh with them or we're holding them to unattainable standards of conduct. Maybe we're not listening to them or we're trying to control every single aspect of their life and their futures. You know, I've always joked around with my kids that we don't have a college fund that's set up for them. Instead, we have a therapy fund. That way they can talk through the ways that we've screwed them up. Because it's inevitable that you're going to make mistakes. But there needs to be a balance between firm discipline and having it done in the right spirit versus provoking. Because we have such power in our words and our actions. It's very easy to crush children's spirits. And this term at the end of the verse, discouraged, that's used here. This leads us to the idea of losing heart to where the child is going around listless, sullen, moody, rather than being joyful, rather than being exuberant and full of life. John Eady, a, a pastor and theologian from the uh, 1600s, says that a twig is to be bent with caution, not to be broken in the effort of a rude and hasty zeal. You know, I think the purpose of this command is given to the fathers because the danger of this type of parenting, of course, is as we provoke our children, we, they will become children of strife, bitterness, and anger, and perhaps follow into our own footsteps. This is what's kind of known as a generational curse, or maybe anger, alcoholism, your type of husbandry, things like that are passed down to your children. You know, you think about that. What are we passing down? You know, when we think about marriages, another aspect that doesn't get viewed often is whether, you know, if you have daughters, for instance, what are you modeling for your daughter to understand what marriage is like? You know, what if her husband would treat her and her kids, your grandchildren, in the same way that you treat your wife. 
would you think that that's acceptable? Because she's learning that that's acceptable. And she might pursue something like that because she is understanding of that personality. She finds a sense of comfort within the trauma to where she knows how to navigate that. You know, when we, when we have a provoking type of spirit, where we're agitating, where we're going overboard, it's not saying that you can't discipline your child because children need discipline. But when we're, overboard, when we're going overboard with things, we create these hateful, spiteful people that are full of bitterness and resentment. You know, discipline is needed to where you are breaking the will that is rebellious, but not the spirit of the child. Discipline is needed where they are learning right and wrong through effective teaching, modeling, and discipline. And that looks different for every child. Paul David Tripp, he's an author, and he says, um, in the family, life is brought not only to our doorsteps, but into our kitchens, bedrooms, and dens. In the family, life is happening all around us, and it begs to be questioned, evaluated, interpreted, and discussed. There is no more consistent, pregnant, dynamic forum for instruction about life than the family, because that is exactly what God designed the family to be, a learning community. Now, as believers, we have the opportunities each and every week to enjoy our families as places where we can all grow closer together to the Lord. We all have distinct roles that need to be acted upon. Well, we're definitely learning. But you need to examine what it is you are actually learning. You know, the family unit plays an important part in all of our lives as we learn structure, order, obedience. You know, if your child does not learn to obey your instructions, it's going to be a lot harder for them to understand and learn to obey God's instructions. Not saying it can't be done, but it's just definitely harder. The same mentality of when you teach a toddler how to do things and to obey is a lot easier than teaching a teenager how to do some of those types of things because they're already set in their ways in terms of in independence. But as I said in our open, uh, our seasons change. We go through different various uh, aspects in life, different age times, and they're never the same for everyone. Life looks differently for each of us. But it is God's word that stays consistent in its order, in its authority, and its guidance for our life. Each of us as individuals need to respond to that word individually in how we're obeying these commands, how we're living these things out. We cannot force another person to obey these commands. We cannot make them listen. People may respond to that attitude and comply out of fear or safety, but it's not a correct way to raise children in the Lord or have a God-honoring marriage. All of us play roles in our family units. And as believers within those units, we each have this responsibility to honor God and draw each other closer to him through our obedience to his calling and his design that he has set. Where we are putting on the new self, and we're reflecting the attributes of Christ. So when we look at what we are putting on as believers, how are those things lived out in the family unit? I think that that could be some fun discussion questions over lunch today. Let's pray. Father, as we 
continue to study your word as we look at how the new self impacts the family unit today. I just want to thank you for your word and for your truth. And Lord, in our struggles, whether that is submission, whether that is loving unconditionally, whether that is obeying our parents, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to pour out your grace, that your spirit would continue to convict us in our lives, and that we could be drawn closer to you. Help us to obey in those areas that we know is truth. Help us to respond more like the new self rather than the old self. Lord, we thank you for how you have uh, done a great work in us, and we, we praise you that you, and we know that you are faithful, that you will complete that. So I pray that each and every day that we have those opportunities to engage with our families, that we can draw closer to you, and we can help others be drawn closer to you as well. Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your truth, and we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.